All right, so today we're talking about how to impact the next generation with your limited time. So we all have limited time, and uh, we uh, want to impact the next generation. And by the way, the next generation, you can be like, next generation can mean your own generation if you're young, all right, because you can impact other kids in your classroom, and this, this applies to, to almost every single one of us who is here. We're looking at it because we're in a family series called It's Just a Phase, so don't miss it. Uh, because we know that uh, kids go through kind of phases, there are opportunities at each phase, and want to take advantage of those opportunities. And so, uh, but sometimes life crowds in, and before we know it, we haven't taken advantage of those opportunities. And even though it's a family series, and by the way, we all go through phases. I'm in a phase right now, so it's not just kids go through phases. We are all in phases. And so, um, but we've, we've got it plotted out really well for parents and influencers, and that's why we're in this series. Now, even though it's a family series, uh, it's really about making an eternal impact on the next generation. It's not just for parents, it's for grandparents and uncles and aunts and student ministry leaders and even youth and even some children. Sunday school teachers, mentors, good neighbors, all of that. I love how Pastor John got across that point last week with two pictures and a simple story. And so, just in case, I know some of you missed it, and it's such a good story, you'll want to hear it again anyways. Um, so, there's Pastor John there in his, uh, in his driveway, and uh, the neighbors, they have a tradition of having coffee and I think donuts or something, you know, some, some fun stuff on the first day of school, and they're all, the, all, all a bunch of families during part of that time. But their daughter, Eden, was going in the first grade, and uh, she was off on the steps. The night before, she was all excited about it, but she woke up that morning with the reality of, I'm going into a classroom where I don't know anybody, and this is going to be completely new. And so she's sitting back there by herself and, and just kind of contemplating life, and one of the neighbors uh, comes over and sits there. And I don't know how John got these pictures. I mean, he's in the pictures. Like, does he bring a photographer to these things? You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, so, but this is, this is a great, great picture. Because he's talking to her and he's consoling her. And eventually, through their conversation, uh, she comes back. Now, that's a neighbor whose kids are grown up. And he's having an influence on the next generation, on his neighbor. And so that's, that's why I say when we're talking about here is not just for families. This is, this is for everybody. Some of you students uh, help in our children's ministry or helped in VBS, and you had some kids under your care, and you had conversations like that with them when they were struggling. Uh, so this is, this is for everybody here. So how do you make the most difference in a kid's life the next generation's life with the limited amount of time, the little bit of time that we have. And I think a good part of the answer is found in Psalm 90, verse 12. Here's what it says, and this is what we're, a passage we're going to be focusing on. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Okay, so when it says, teach us to number our days... What it's saying is, help us to realize just how short life is so that we will live it in a way that is smart, in a way that's wise, 
in a way that will make a difference. That's what this verse is saying. Now, of course, realizing that your life is short uh, doesn't always lead to wisdom. It can lead to, you know, kind of going for all the gusto. You know, let me get it all right now. Uh, let me get everything I can. Or let me go after power. For some people, it's just depressing. And so they don't even think about it. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week as we continue in this passage. Because for the Christian, it's, it's the opposite. Our lives are supposed to be better, wiser, more godly when we recognize just how short this life is. In the context of this passage, we're going to look at the whole chapter, this doesn't mean this is all we have. This means there's more. There's more, and this life impacts the more. And so let's lead the kind of lives that reflect the wisdom of God in our daily lives. Now, I want a heart of wisdom. I can't imagine there's anybody in here that doesn't want a heart of wisdom. So uh, I, I hope you'll be listening and, uh, and commit yourself to some of the thoughts that we're going to be sharing today. Uh, in this psalm, in this verse in particular, we can see some really clear, very practical and profound ways that we can make the best of the short time that we have with the next generation to help them love God, to help them follow God throughout their lives wholeheartedly. And, uh, and like I said, we're going to spend two weeks on this and, uh, and have some practical implications of it. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. It's on page 592 in those Bibles. But the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bibles. If you go like this, you're going to hit the Psalms if you just split your Bible in two. And go to Psalm 90. If you don't have, um, if, you, if you have a smartphone or tablet, uh, we are using the NIV. Uh, so you can follow along. So if you're new with us, also, we have uh, the sermon application guide. So hopefully you picked up a new here brochure. And on the inside is the sermon application guide. And the sermon application guide is, you know, has some of the key thoughts. Uh, it's got family discussion questions. Normally, we're studying the same thing as the kids. In two weeks, we'll be back to our series going through the New Testament. Uh, kids are still in that series, but these questions are more focused on... Uh-oh. <coughs> Excuse me. These questions are focused more on bringing this sermon, and so it, it'll be asked in a way that even though if your kids aren't in here, you'll have an opportunity to kind of catch them up on some things. There's uh, personal reflection questions as well. This is about bringing the story of God to life, not just about accumulating knowledge. So that's why we have that for you. All right, a couple of things before we look at this psalm that you need to know about the psalms. The psalms are the prayer book of Jesus and all the apostles. I say this every time we're going to focus on the psalm because we need to be reminded of that. It's a prayer book of Judaism. It was also the prayer book of Christianity uh, for the last 2,000 years or so. It's been the prayer book of Christianity. Even though, in reality, modern Christians, especially of our ilk, don't use the Psalms for prayer very much anymore. Uh, the reasons for that, and they're not good reasons. Uh, but that's, that's the way it is. Psalm 90 is a lament psalm. Uh, lament psalms make up almost half of the Psalms. You know what a lament psalm is? It's a psalm where the psalmist is praying a prayer of complaint to God, is upset. 
is struggling with life and is wondering why God is either allowing this to happen, why God is actually bringing this on them, or why God won't intervene. Even, even when, like in this psalm, they go, we deserve what we're getting, but for how long are you going to continue to give us what we deserve? Can you just give us a little bit of relief? Almost half the psalms. It's one of the greatest testimonies to our faith and to Judaism that the prayer book that God has put in his story is filled with complaints lifted up to him because that's how we are as people. We struggle. We don't have answers. We, our, 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 our worldview is incomplete. And in praying those prayers, we're saying what's already happening in our minds and our hearts. You know, talk about phases. Some of you are entering into a phase in life. Maybe you're going into 10th, 11th, 12th grade where you're starting to see inconsistencies around you in the church and, and you're starting to feel that from what you know about God and what the Bible says about God and what you're experiencing, there doesn't seem to be a connection a lot of times. And rather than just kind of turning away from God, the scripture shows us we can come to God with those questions. We can come to God with those complaints. And the scripture does that over and over again. Now the center section of Psalm 90 is the lament part. Some of the lament psalms are personal complaints. So it's me, I wonder. Uh, A lot of the lament psalms are corporate complaints. We. This is a corporate complaint. You know what that means? This was used in worship. As part of worship, these psalms of corporate complaining to God were, were used. And um, it's identified, if you look right under where it says in your Bible, Psalm 90, right under it, it says that it's a Psalm of Moses. So that helps us locate, generally speaking, what the people may be going through. So they're uh, likely, almost surely, in the wilderness. They've been brought out of Egypt. Uh, they have messed up royally over and over again. God has disciplined them over and over again. And they're complaining to God, basically saying, yeah, we know we deserve this, but... How long is this going to go on? All right? Um, the, the kind of the center verse uh, that just really hits home the, the complaint is in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. So we begin in verse 1, which doesn't start with lament. The first two verses are praise verses. So here's what it says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's where it begins. And it's important to get this because to understand verse 12 correctly, you have to understand that it's in the context of an infinite mindset. Okay? Uh, infinity. Eternity is in the mind of the psalmist. And it's not just infinity in the future, it's infinity past. That God is an eternal God that precedes everything. That he created everything and he precedes everything. He has been. And then not just God is eternal, but that they are placed within history. That they are part of a generational thing. We don't think in those terms very much in like 21st century America, 
probably maybe since we started America. We're kind of individualists in a lot of ways, and there's some positives to that, but we don't think about the generations. We forget, you know, everybody here, let me just let you know, 100 years from now, nobody is going to remember you. Do you remember anybody from 100 years ago? I mean, stories, have you heard stories of your ancestors from 100 years ago? If I said raise your hand, maybe a few hands would go up. There are cultures where you know the stories going back generation after generation after generation. We don't value that. These people see we're part of something that God has been up to for a long time. And the scriptures try to keep reminding us of that, that we're not these sole individuals that are experiencing things for the first time. We're part of something bigger, part of something longer. And it's not just generations. It's, it's eternity. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before everything else was, you are. Now, does that remind you possibly of a conversation Moses had with God? It was at a burning bush. And the bush is burning but not burning. There's a fire but it's not burning. And God says, I want you to go and free my people. You're going to be my instrument to free my people from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, okay. Uh, he's thinking, nobody's going to follow me. So he goes, who do I tell him sent me? What's your name? Moses is thinking, well, there are a lot of gods out there. Because that's how Moses thought. The Israelites, we learn later in the story, their homes, while they're in Egypt, are filled with idols. God has been faithful. God is going to be faithful to them. They have not been faithful to God. Their homes are filled with idols. Uh, don't get too upset with them, so are ours. <laughs> right? Filled with idols. And so uh, Moses says, which God do I tell them sent me? And he says, well, I'll give you my name. He says, my name is I am. I am. And, and that's, that's you, know, you, you see that reflected in this. Before everything else was, you are. You are God. All right, the eternal God, the eternal I am. So in later, it says, how do I leverage the short number of days I have? It's not so that I get the most out of these days. For these days. It's so that I get the most out of these days for the sake of eternity and our eternal God and for his glory. Now, I'm going to show you in a few minutes how this has enormous implications for influencing the next generation and parenting. Uh, but uh, let me just give you a little preview of that. Um, let me put that picture up again here of, um, of Eden with the neighbor. What do you think he's saying? You probably, uh, you, you probably, well, one thing, you know what he's not saying. He's not saying Eden, you know. I know you're nervous. It's your first day of school. If you don't get today right, it'll ruin the rest of your life. <laughs> because that, number one, that would be cruel, even if it was true. And it's not true, <laughs> right? It's not true. And so what he's probably, what he's doing is he's drawing on his own experience probably. You know, he might be listening to, having her talk, but he, if, he's, if he's talking, he's probably saying, you know, I remember, it may not be his first day at school, he might remember his first day at his new job, first day at college when his parents dropped him off, you know, anything like that. He's, he's remembering. And so what he's doing is he's bringing 
his experience. He's bringing his, his broader perspective that's been formed by his experience over time to her in that moment that she's having right there with less experience. When you and I really get God's perspective that we're made for eternity, when we really get that perspective, it changes everything. Changes everything. Imagine with me the impact you can have on someone else. Let's say your kids. When, when they're facing um, falling out with their best friends or uh, a personal attack on Instagram or uh, a big challenge, any big challenge, when we come to them and we bring an eternal perspective in their challenge, in their frustration, in their hurt, uh, it changes everything. Now, it doesn't mean every time you come, you say, hey, well, you know, think about eternity in heaven. It's not like you're going to be talking about eternity every moment, but what you do say is going to be informed and shaped by an eternal perspective when we get it, when we really get it, and it shapes our daily lives. So the psalm, psalm starts with praise. It offers um, a generational and an eternal perspective, and now comes the lament. Look at verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up, but by evening, it's dry and withered. You getting his point? Saying, God, I mean, time is nothing to you. You know, a thousand years are like a day to you. A day is a day for us. We don't have a thousand years, so why do you end our lives so quickly? Why do you so lightly just, you know, we wake up, boop, well, we're gone the next morning. It's a complaint. And then it goes on because they know they're not innocent. Verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set your iniquities before, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, and yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, and they quickly pass, and we fly away. And that's, that's a voice, I mean, this is a corporate voice. This is a voice of an entire community who is so discouraged that when they think back, and most of us have experienced this at one point or another. Some of you are experiencing this right now, that you're going through such deep discouragement that when you think back to your best days, they don't even seem real. I wasn't that good. Even our best days were filled with trouble and sorrow. Now, what he says next is maybe our lives would be different if we had thought about you a little bit more. If, verse 11, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then comes the, the focus verse. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to see how short our life is and to think about you. Help us to think about you. And then the last verse of lament, relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Now, a shift takes place as it often does in the lament psalms. Not always, but a shift takes place in this one where uh, they, 
they go more positive, okay? They kind of remember who God is and what he can do. And so look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Give us relief. Give us as much success as you have given us failure. That's what, they're, what, what the psalmist is asking. Help us to have, okay, up till now, bad. Uh, give us as many good days going forward. And then look at what they pray next, because here it's where it gets generational again. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. They want the next generation to see the glory and splendor of God. And then it wraps up. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's the context of the verse. That's the context of the verse. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We're going to look at three implications from it, uh, but only one today, two next week. All right? We'll spend less time looking at the whole psalm, but we'll look at those implications. So how do you impact the next generation with your limited time? Here's where it begins. It begins by thinking infinite over finite, finite, limited time. Think infinite over finite. Another way to say this would be think of your infinite, think of your finite limited days in light of God's infinite eternal timeline. Look at each day from that perspective. This is really hard to do. Uh, it, but it's essential for living our lives for God and for making a difference with the next generation. Okay, let's just spend a moment. I want to show you a couple of ways or remind you most likely of a couple of ways that thinking infinitely will impact our daily lives, our finite. When we think infinite, it gives us needed perspective for meeting daily challenges and difficulties when raising kids or facing our own uh, challenges or influencing our other kids. Uh, so here, here's an analogy that, that, that might help on how to get an infinite perspective or an infinite mindset or how that works, how it impacts. Uh, imagine you're at a fundraising event. A friend has invited you. It's his favorite charity and you're uh, a part of that. And you like what you hear and you decide to make a donation and they make it really easy for you. You can go right online right now, just put it in the little, little box right there, what you want to give and connect it to your credit card and it's real easy to do and you decide to give $100 to that organization. You do it, you go home, the next day you get a phone call and it's the president of the organization. And he is thanking you profusely for your donation. And he says, I want to take you out to dinner. First chance we get. And you're like, wow, for $100. That doesn't seem right. So you go into your bank account. And, uh, and you realize there's also a notification from the bank. And they explain, uh, you didn't have the $10,000 in your checking account uh, for that donation. Uh, so we've moved it over from your savings account. Okay, what do you do? Of course, you, you call the CEO. Well, you don't call the CEO, you call his assistant. You don't want to talk to him. 
you're embarrassed, and you say, oh, I made a huge mistake, those two little zeros, I thought, you know. So, um, uh, a, would you please change it? It was a $100 donation, and of course they're going to do that, and it's, it's great. But imagine if you are a multi-billionaire. I know it's hard to imagine, imagine if you're a multi-billionaire just for a few moments, and you make the same mistake. What do you do? probably laugh it off. Some of you would say, that's not how you become a multi-billionaire. But let's say, <laughs> let's say you're a generous uh, multi-billionaire. Uh, and so you kind of laugh it off. You know, my wife has been telling me to get glasses forever. You know, I probably should do it because someday I may make a mistake on zeros that actually matters to me. And you just let it go through. We have billions of years. We're made for eternity. But we get really bent out of shape. Maybe happened this morning. We get bent out of shape with our kids, you know, when they're throwing a, you know, a tantrum or they're um, fighting with you over what they're going to wear uh, for coming to the service today. Uh, or you find out they missed an important assignment in school or they bring back a grade that's not very good and we get really, really upset. Now, do those things matter? Yes, they matter. But do they matter to the degree that we respond if we would be thinking eternity? Are we, maybe the question we have to ask ourselves, are we kind of like a billionaire who's yelling at everybody in the house and throwing a fit because, and internally anxious and frustrated, because misplaced some pocket change? So an infinite perspective helps us in the daily life because it puts it in perspective. It's not that it's not important. The finite is very important because it impacts all of eternity. But that moment, that moment is not everything that we make it out to be or what we make it out to be. All right. The, the reality is, by the way, um, we oftentimes go weeks months and years not thinking about that eternal perspective in our daily life. That can, that can actually happen. That, that we would, when was the last time that you had one of those moments where you're extremely frustrated and you put it into the perspective of eternity? You actually did it in the moment. We can go sometimes days, weeks, months, maybe even years without doing that. Uh, one, of the, one of the reminders, John talked about this last week, is these, these marbles. Um, if you get the, the full jar with all the marbles, there's 930-some marbles representing the 930-some weeks that you have from the time a child is born until they graduate. Take a marble out each week, and you see the time going by. And when you get down to one more year with them, this is what you have. He, he said he counted them, 52. There's 52 in here. And if you see that you go, 52? That doesn't look like 52. That looks like nothing. That's exactly how you're going to think back to your time. And you're going to go, oh, where did all the time go? <laughs> where did it all go? And I don't have very much time left. And we need to be reminded of that because we're so busy. That, uh, and, and by the way, that you're not going to stop being busy. <laughs> you're so busy 
that it's easy to forget that the time is going by and how much time has actually, actually gone by. All right. Number two, second. Uh, when we think infinite, it places primary value where God does, which is on the journey, not just the destination. I love an illustration. Uh, uh, Daniel M., um, he's a pastor and an author and a podcaster, and he tells a story in a, in a book about discipleship. He's talking about discipleship, but, he's, but, he's, but what he says about discipleship being, he says, is, is a journey. We can't see it as a destination, like, oh, if you've gone through story of God, you're there. Mm, no, that's part of the journey, for example. Um, so he, he says we've got to be thinking journey instead of destination. And he gives an example from his life. His parents emigrated from Korea uh, right before he was born. They started a business. The business enveloped their lives. They didn't work 40-hour weeks. They worked all the time, you know, work and sleep. He said his summers, they never went on family vacations. He never, um, he says, and I, he didn't even get a vacation. He was in math camps and all this kind of stuff. And one year his parents decided to sell the business that was pretty much killing them. And they decided to celebrate as a family. They took a vacation. They lived in, uh, they, had, they, they were Canadians, and they took a, a road trip to Disneyland in Anaheim. So uh, he was so excited. <laughs> and uh, it took a week to get there. If you know the map, it shouldn't take a week, but it took them a week. They had four kids uh, in a van, made stops along the way, had some fun together, that kind of thing. They got to Disneyland. He had a great day in Disneyland, just a super day. Next morning, they wake up, and the parents go, pack up, we're leaving, going back home. And they're like, what? They spent a week getting here? You know, all the kids, they're up in arms. They're like, we can't, we want to go back. I mean, they, were, they thought they were going to be there for days. And no matter how much pleading, the parents go, no, no, we're leaving. That was the plan. Uh, they just didn't tell them what the plan was. And they get in the car, and they go back. He says, he, he, just the whole trip back, he was just depressed. He was just upset. And they got back. He says, now... What would have happened if his adult self, he says now, recognizes something that he didn't get as a kid? What if I had realized that a vacation is as much about the journey as it is about the destination? He says, in reality, when I think back to that vacation, I remember more fun things that we did on our way there and on the way back than I actually remember from being in Disneyland for that day. And we have an eternal perspective. We start recognizing we're, we're on a journey that is like on an infinite line. And this life is one little dot on that infinite line. And we start looking at life with a different perspective. We start recognizing the importance of the journey because it's in the journey. It's in the journey that we influence. It's literally for some of you in the journey, meaning get in the car, go to this practice, go to this rehearsal, go to, you know, it's in the journey that most of the influencing uh, is done. And when we have an eternal perspective, we have an opportunity to see that. We learn to value, we learn to value the journey. Now, I've talked often uh, about this, um, so I'll give you a quick reminder, you've heard me say this before. Uh, I used to say, I don't uh, say that without following what I'm about to say. I used to say, 
Too much of our focus in raising our kids is to launch them to become successful in their life. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but too much of our focus is you know, that they get good grades and that, so they can get good jobs and so that they're well-rounded and, um, and good families and all this sort of thing. And, and so what I used to say was quit thinking just about launching your kids into their adult life. Think about launching their, your kids into eternity because that's what you're doing and you have only so many weeks. It's not that after the jar is gone, we don't have influence anymore. That would be pretty depressing. The, the reality is, is our biggest influence is in probably the first half of those marbles and taking advantage of that time, but it's never too late. It's never, never too late. Um, I mean, there's 90-year-old there's people praying for their 70-year-old son still and influencing them and making a difference. Never too late. But, but here's... Here's the thing, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, yeah, I used to say launching them into eternity. Now I say that's too short-sighted. What we ought to be thinking about is we're launching our kids even now, not when they're adults, even now into a life of loving God and serving him for his glory, being on mission for him. You know what? A life of loving God, being in a relationship with him, saved by his grace, getting it, living it, always ends in eternity with him. But when we focus on getting our kids saved, uh, kind of dangerous. Uh, not very biblical either. Let's get them to pray a prayer. There's nothing in the Bible get, that will suggest that. Um, it's about a relationship. And they may get the wrong idea. The reality is, is, there, is our lives and their lives are to be about God's glory. Do you think if your kids never enter into a life where they realize our life is about God's glory, that they're going to want to spend eternity with a God who gets all the glory and then shares it with us? Do you think they're going to want to be in that God's presence? There's a, uh, Pastor John reminded me uh, yesterday about a story in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis where uh, a man who has lived his whole life for himself comes before the glory of God. So it's a fictionalized type story. He comes before the glory of God. And what happens is, because he's never lived for God's glory, he begins to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until he is no more. <laughs> the reality is that there is no one separated from God for eternity that actually wants to be with God. Why would you change your mind after a lifetime of wanting to live for your own glory? Why would you want to live in his glory? It might be like, whoa, because I get to live forever, because I'm happy, everything like that. I don't think you'll be happy if it's a life about God's glory. It's not going to be where you want to be. So that's where we're taking our kids. That's the journey, and the journey with God matters. Uh, it's on the journey that God shapes us and that we can experience his adventure. Okay, so let me finish with this. Three just practical things coming out of here. Three practical things that you can do, next steps you can do. The first one is, um, parents, uh, get acquainted with your child's phase that they're in right now. So, not just parents, um, again, mentors, teachers, uncles and aunts, grandparents, get acquainted with your children's phase that they're in right now. The kids today who are down in the children's, in the kids' ministry, are going to come home with their phase card. 
And that's a great summary. It's a great place to begin. Uh, we, you know, we have those cards out in our Family Resource Center, and we have a book that goes along with it as well, but a great place to start would be to have that phase card. And if you picked one up before, good reminder, right? So look at that phase, and hopefully that'll help you, for you to get acquainted with their phase so you cannot waste it, so that you can take advantage of the phase uh, that, they're, that they're in. Uh, a second one... Um, so this one is for parents. Uh, you can also take a deeper dive by joining the small group, the phase small group. So Pastor John and his wife Jill are going to be leading this group. It's going to start the end of this month, beginning of next month. And um, if you're interested in finding out more, you're not signing up, but finding out more, write phase small group on your communication card and someone will get in touch with you. So uh, especially if you're new and you don't have uh, already a small group, what a great place because probably going to be a lot of new people in there, um, but uh, it's not just for new people, it's for anybody. Uh, the third one is for grandparents. It's a unique opportunity coming at New Life Church here in Woodbury, just down the street. They have a Grandparenting Matters seminar. It's coming in October. And uh, if you write, for those of you who are grandparents, if you write uh, grandparent, Grandparenting Seminar on your communication card, We'll send you the link. We'll also send it in an email, a group email, so you can see some of the other people who might be going. And you can, uh, if you know someone, you can talk about, hey, let's, let's go together, let's, let's uh, spend some, let's, let's sit together, that kind of a thing. Um, but this, this is a seminar about taking advantage of the advantages you have as a grandparent and about being mindful about the things that you can, how you can impact your grandchildren for Christ. All right, so we're going to... Uh, uh, we're going to move into our time of response now. And so every week at Five Oaks, after we've heard from God's word, we're going to, uh, we, we spend time responding to God. One of the ways that we respond is with communion. So we remember that we're here together and we can, we can have eternal life because Jesus came and he died. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. So we invite anyone who is a follower of Jesus to participate in communion with us. It wouldn't make sense otherwise. Um, uh, we also have someone back in that corner ready to pray for you. I, I went there last night and I said, pray that I don't cough through my sermon tomorrow. Uh, but you can bring anything from coughing to cancer to those people. And they're, they're ready to pray for you for healing and for God's presence and God working in your life. We've got a kneeling bench back there and we've got the lighting stations here, which are a prayer station where we pray as we light a candle. We pray for the light of Christ in the life of someone who's far from God. If you already know who it is you're going to invite, possibly, and they're in church, and they don't know Jesus, that you're going to invite to our family fun fest, start praying for them every week right now. Um, take the opportunity. You don't have to pray for them here, but that's an opportunity to pray for them. All right, let's pray.